from his trip in Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. Um, after after Iraq, just as I was getting ready to leave Iraq, um, that's when folks from our international headquarters came and asked me if I would like to uh, do this full time and work uh, out of the office in London, and we did that. Uh, so my wife and I moved there, and we did a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, uh, whole emergency work while we were there. We were um, one of the things we had just we had been there just for a little while, and um, uh, I remember on uh, it was uh, December 26th. Uh, we, it was a Sunday. We were driving to church uh, to our church there, Salvation Army in Croydon, uh, England. And uh, we heard on the radio that morning that there had been a tsunami hit. And um, initial reports as we got in, you know, and we it's about a 20-minute drive to uh, to the church. As we got in the car, they were saying that there were uh, there were hundreds of people that were killed or missing. And by the time we got to the church, they were talking about it was over a thousand now. And so we went into we went into the uh, the church service and we got about two thirds of the way done and I had my cell phone in my pocket and I kept it on vibrate and it started going off so I excused myself and went out and um, that was my boss from the office saying have you been following what's happening on the radio and I said well I, I heard about it coming in and he said well it, the thing keeps getting bigger so we went back. I went back home, got on my computer, and uh, we were trying to be in contact with the Salvation Armies in uh, in Sri Lanka, India, uh, Indonesia, just in that whole area that was hit. But um, it was the 20, things just happened quickly, and from there, and uh, on the 29th of December, uh, I arrived in uh, Sri Lanka and uh, started working on some uh, some programs to help with the uh, uh with the uh, uh, results of the tsunami, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, time and time again, here again, here again, God, you know, God was was guiding us. Um, we got to uh, we got to Colombo, and it was uh, Cedric Hills, uh, Major Hills, and I, and uh, we decided that we needed to do um, kind of a, a divide and conquer strategy. Uh, there were some some. United Nations coordinating meetings going on in Colombo, the capital where we landed, mm-hmm. and uh, Major Hill saw in Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and he he decided that that he would go, he would stay there, and to do those, uh, you know, to attend those meetings, to find out what he could find and and see, you know, if he could find any gaps that we could work on. In the meantime, we had already the local Salvation Army had already been asked to go down to the south in a, a, a place called Gaul. Um, uh, a community down there that was very, very heavily hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember some of the stories. There was a train that was uh, that was just full of people that was wow. that was swept away, and it was Oof. down in Gaul. But anyways, uh, it was decided that uh, you know that that's where we would begin the work. So Cedric stayed in um, Colombo to go to these meetings, and I went down to Gaul to find you know to to coordinate with the local government and see what was happening and see what we could do. And so um, uh, got, you know, some transportation from the local Salvation Army. And we went we went down to Gaul. Or, and uh, I got to the city, and I really, I really didn't know, you know, 
really how to get this thing together. Everything was chaos. Um, but I knew I needed to go. Uh, there was a local, I forget the, I forget his, um, his title, but the local government official mm-hmm. uh, who was in charge of that area. I knew I had to get to see him because basically what I wanted to find out is what what they needed, what you know, what what was going on, what they didn't need, what they did need, and if there was any population of people that weren't being served. So I knew I, I needed to get into this guy, and there were a lot of people, I guess, trying to get in to see him. Uh, but I got into the city, and uh, it was uh, it was chaos. We had to, you know, take some you know some back ways because the main roads were washed away. Um, and we got in the we got into the area there, and it was just devastation. Um, I remember one of the first things I saw was a a big a big military truck, and uh, as we were you know I, you see people standing around outside of it, and as we got closer, you'd see they all had face masks, and as we got closer, we saw that it was just full of bodies. Oh boy! Um, it was it was it was bad. But anyways, I stopped at the local Salvation Army Center to see how how. Uh, they were doing and see if they needed any help right away mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know they needed some repairs and stuff but their building was was pretty much intact and we decided that that would be a good distribution center so we you know I left them some money to get some repairs done so that we could start using that and then I asked how do I get you know um, where is this official I needed to go see and uh they, the guy took me over, a local Salvation Army major, uh, took me some more back roads and got me to this government building and took me up the back stairs. Mm-hmm. And anyways, on the way up, uh, when we got in the lobby, there was a picture of this man. He said, that's the guy. Well, we, we go up these stairs, and I'm trying to get a meeting with this guy, and, you know, um, I'm not sure how that's going to work. So I get up in this in this big office, and there's like this big office suites, and I could see this this uh, boardroom, you know, and the door was open. There's a big, there was a big, um, you know, board, you know, meeting table there, and it was quite an impressive thing. And then I looked, and I saw the man. I recognized him from his picture. He was the uh, the local official, and he had uh, a uniformed Sri Lankan police officer turned out to be uh, the police chief for the area. And then there were. Um, he was with several uh, white guys dressed similar to me. And they had, you know, and most of the, uh, you know, humanitarian workers, they have like khaki cargo pants and they'll have a, a little vest on and whatever. And mm-hmm. anyways, these, you know, there were several of these types with him and they were going into this boardroom. Well, I thought right away, I just saw those and I thought, okay, these are humanitarian workers. They're mm-hmm. obviously going to have a meeting. I need to, you know, this is perfect meeting for me to go in. So I just helped myself, and I just walked in like I owned the place. And I sat down next to this guy, and uh, he looks over and says, oh, hi, uh, who are you? And I handed him my card. I said, I'm Captain Mike McCann with the uh, Salvation Army International Headquarters in London. You know, I'm here to try to see what we can do to, uh, you know, to help. And uh, I said, you know, who might you be? And he handed me his card, and I forget the name, but he was a, a full bird colonel from the United States Marine Corps, uh, not dressed uh, at all. You know, they mm-hmm. were in civvies. Yeah. And uh, it turned out that this was a uh, contingency of people from a task force of, of ships that were uh, just off the coast. Really? 
absolutely. And they came in, and they were they were coming in to to ask or what was needed. And anyways, when I had given him my card, then he told me gave me his and told me who he was. And he says uh, he says, well, you stay right here because uh, he says uh, this is the right place for you. You just stay here. It's the Salvation Army. Good to see you. Uh, anyways, they start the meeting, and and the colonel uh, explains to our, our local uh, Sri Lankan official what was going on. And he said, "Well, you know, we're representing the United States. We've got a um, um, a task force of ships, um, you know, offshore here." He said, "We've done some reconnaissance flights. Here's the here's you know how your infrastructure is." Yeah. And he he laid out, he put out a map, and he said, "You know, bridges here, here, and here are cut. You know, your main roads here are." are you know, are not serviceable, and he went and and just went down their assessment of the damage, and then he said, "We have so many thousand Marines mm-hmm. on board. We have heavy equipment. We've got helicopters." He said, "Now we can come in and help, but we can only come in if if we get an official invitation from the Sri Lankan government, and you represent the Sri Lankan government." So these are the things we could do. These are the assets we have. And if you would like, we can come in and we can fix these bridges, we can fix these roads, and we can start removing a lot of the rubble. But you have to ask us. And he said, well, you know, I would like you to do this. And so he said, well, if you could put that for us in writing. He says, my general is going to be here. He's flying in um, tomorrow. He says, I can't say 100%, but I can tell you 90%. Anything you ask for, you'll get. Mm-hmm. And so, um, basically, that I was there while the, the, the government stuff is, yeah. is going on. And then they got done, and uh, the colonel very graciously said, and this is uh, this is my friend, uh, Captain McKee, from the Salvation Army. He says, and, you know, uh, you know, he says, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Salvation Army. He says, well, yes, we have Salvation Army here. He says, well, we work with Salvation Army all over the world. He says, anyways, I'd like to commend him to you, and maybe he wants to speak. And so... I got a chance to ask, um, you know, what was going on, and I said, "What, uh, you know, basically, I, I said, I, I need to know what you, you know, what what assets you have, you know, what needs you see that you have, mm-hmm. what you need, what you don't need, and if there are any any groups of people that are still in need, and you know, maybe we can help." Um, so right off the bat, this uh, this official tells me, he says, "Well, first of all, he says, don't bring food and water." He says, that's coming in by the plane full. He says, and we don't need it. He said, this tsunami just affected uh, a narrow band around the coast. A lot of people were affected. A lot of people were killed. But he says, our our local, you know, our, our, our country's water supply is still fine. He says, we have food here. We don't need this. He says, uh, you know, so don't bring any of that. And uh, at that point, he started saying that uh, that most of the people had been moving uh, or moved or in the process of being moved um, to uh, you know a little bit inland mm-hmm. to some uh, churches and mosques and, and temples and whatnot for temporary housing. Yeah. And first, he suggested that we help you know maybe uh, do some work you know at these temples and and mosques and things to help make these a little more livable. But what I mentioned to him at that point is that, um, you know, I said, well, it sounds like you have people already working on temporary housing. The emergency won't be over until something permanent is done. Has anybody been talking about starting to do permanent homes for these people, you know, to re- to replace what's been lost? And he had said no. 
I said, well, is that something that you'd like the Salvation Army to do? And he said, well, that would be helpful. You know, what are you thinking, you know, 50, 70, 100? And I said, well, I said, why don't we start with 1,000 and see where we go from there? And, uh, you know, that was the beginning of our, our housing program. And wow. We ended up building a lot of houses. We ended up uh, helping, you know, uh, with boats and helping, you know, people get their livelihoods back again. But, again, it, it, it came down to people... And, you know, I, um, I'm i sure not a wizard at this. I had no idea what I was going to do when I got there. Yeah. But the Lord, again, he directed us to the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, I just it just happened that I walked into that office just as those, those people were going in, and I just had a, a feeling I needed to be part of this meeting, mm-hmm. and the Lord just laid it all out for us again. And it was incredible. Um, over the... Um, I believe we still have people there um, in Sri Lanka helping, uh, you know, to do more with. Uh, uh, I think right now they're they're concentrating on, on livelihoods and and transportation and things. But mm-hmm. uh, it's incredible. Wow, wow. So what other what other projects were you on? Oh my! <laughs> oh my! Um, Pakistan, Pakistan. We were in. Uh, I think it was. 2005, I believe, they had a, a huge earthquake, killed 75,000 people, yeah. and uh, we we went there, and we did a lot of, uh, again, we did a lot of, uh, uh, right away, it was emergency materials uh, up the mountain to help people make it through the winter. It was in October that this happened. I think it was October 5th uh, when it actually hit, but winter was just starting to set into the end. Uh, in the mountains in the northwest frontier province in um, Pakistan. And so we had to get insulated, well, insulation and, and different things up the mountain to people who were not going to come down so that they could uh, last out the, uh, the winter. Wow. And then we, uh, uh, you know, we came back and we um, helped with rebuilding. We re- rebuilt a school way up 5,000 feet up a mountain. Wow. Um, we rebuilt a school. Um, we, um, you know, helped with a lot of housing materials and, uh, and really it was a, it was a, a pretty big project there as well. We, uh, the result of this is, uh, there were two Salvation Army officers, uh, wonderful people who ended up being, um, appointed up into this front, uh, Northwest Frontier province to continue our uh, community development work even after the emergency was done. So the Salvation Army does have a work in Pakistan, but just not in that area. Yeah, yeah. We had been um, focused, or our headquarters was in Lahore, and still is. And but we have, you know, work in Islamabad and, and really, you know, a lot of places in Pakistan. But we weren't up in the Northwest Frontier Province. Now, this is the area that it borders on some of the tribal areas that are uh, in the news because of uh, the instability there, and you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, it's just adjacent to the. Um, uh, border of Afghanistan, so it's kind of a little bit like the Wild West up there. Mm. But we didn't have any work going prior to this, but because of what we did and the way the Salvation Army was accepted by the local people there, um, you know, we've we've uh, continued to work up there. And uh, now, again, what we're we're trying to focus on is um, some sustainable. Um, income generating things so that the people there uh, can make a can make a living. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, 
you know, I also uh, got to work well, back and forth to uh, Africa several times. I love Africa. Oh, really? something, there's something I just feels right about Africa. You know, it's just interesting, uh, and I spent some time in Africa, but uh, I was talking with another officer who had been to Africa for actually most of his Army career, but uh, there's something that was said to me before I went to Zimbabwe, and uh, this guy said to me, he said, now just mark my words, he said, when you go to Africa, there's going to be part of you that's going to remain there, and part of Africa that will never leave you. Yeah. And that's true. It just, you know, there's, it, it just has that draw to you. I don't know whether it's the people or, it's, it's got to be the people, but. Yeah, I don't know what it is. And, you know, I always, I always, um, you know, fall in love with the place I'm at because that's where the Lord has asked me to go and there's something to do. And I love helping people. I love representing the Lord and, and you know, being part of the, uh, of the healing process. But there's something about Africa, and when I get there, it just—it almost—it's not home. It's never been home, but it almost feels like coming home. It's—it's it's hard to explain. Now but, you were in Malawi and Mozambique, and then you mentioned earlier today about Uganda. Yeah, yeah, we were um, uh, during my time in uh, in in London at IHQ. Um, we had, uh, well, Cedric Hills was at a UN meeting and they were talking about northern Uganda where there had been a war going on for, for, well, years and years, 20 years, I think. And, um, the UN was calling that the, uh, the forgotten emergency and said the world had just forgotten about it and asked people to come and, uh, uh to take a look and see what we could do to help. So, uh, Cedric and I went and we, uh, we arranged a trip, and we went up into the north of Uganda, and we took a look around, and we decided that, that yeah, that maybe the Salvation Army should get involved there. We did have Salvation Army presence in Uganda in the south, mm-hmm. but nothing in the north where the war had been going on. So uh, I came back again to do an assessment, and we went. I went from, um, you know, to all the the refugee camps and the surrounding areas uh, to try to see what the needs are. And, you know, going to refugee camps and and dealing with that, I'm thinking when I'm going over on the plane, I'm thinking, well, you know, um, they're probably going to need better housing or Mm -hmm. food and water and and these kinds of projects. So that's what I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind. And, you know, we got up there and I started to do my assessment work and I found that the uh, uh, shelter wasn't adequate, and it was it was lousy, uh, just not adequate at all. And I found the food was there wasn't enough, really enough food. Then there was really no food security, and so that was that was troubling. And water and sanitation, all these were were needs, and these are typical emergency needs. And I was going around trying to figure out what exactly we needed to do. But as bad as these were, every place I went, and I would talk to local people in the camps, I would talk to the, the government folks from the surrounding area, uh, everybody was telling us the same thing. They said, yes, you know, uh, houses, you know, we need better shelter, and we need more food, and we need better water. But they said, this, this war has been going on for 20 years, and we have now a generation of kids that have been in these camps for 18, you know, they've grown up in these they camps. They don't know anything else. They don't know anything else, and they have, they said there's been no education for them. And they said, we're in danger of losing a whole generation of, of our people. 
And they said, what we need is education. And um, I was kind of flabbergasted, but the more I listened to them and the more I looked, that was that's what they needed. But I tell you, I was a little bit concerned coming back to headquarters because they had sent me over for, to do an assessment for an emergency pro, emergency you know intervention. And I knew they were expecting me to do something with the water or the food or the shelter. But I was going to come back, and I did. I, I, you know, designed a program that had to do with putting learning centers into these camps so that they could have a decent place uh, to teach kids and then to work out, um, to work out uh, maybe some, some places for teachers, you know, some perks that we could give teachers to draw the teachers back to the camps so that they would be present to teach. And at first I thought they were at headquarters, they were going to think I'd lost my mind, you know. What am I talking about an educational program? When, when, when we're really, when, we're really yeah. interested in food and water. When all the, and, yeah, all, when the, all the, all the pictures show these horrible living conditions. But when I came back, um, I thought that that's what the, I thought that was the direction the Lord was leading again. And I came back and I presented the program and, uh, uh, he must have touched some hearts there too because they agreed. And we ended up doing uh, uh, doing quite a few um, learning centers. They became successful. We got some uh, more funding from UNICEF to do even more. And now um, uh, we've gone back again because there were um, there were some uh, uh, developments in the war where things got a little bit a little bit better security wise, and people were starting to think about coming to leaving the camps and going back. To home, uh, mm-hmm. and so at that point uh, we developed another program to bring uh, these learning centers and things uh, and back into the communities as the people left the camps to go back to their original villages. Um, we would come and help with some water, but, but basically we were going to help get their schools started up again, and uh, you know um, that that's ongoing today. And uh, again, that's all. Uh, goes back to some earlier work where we just came in and uh, people said, you know, and it was obvious, you know, they were they were concerned about losing a whole generation of, of people that would come with no skills and no, yeah. no knowledge and uh, so that was a that was a wonderful program or uh, you know, really proud to have been part of it. But again it wasn't because of any any idea that we came up with. It was because we got there and the Lord made it very clear brought us to the right people in the right places, and it just all came together. Hmm. Wow. So how are you different now after you've had all these experiences? I tell you, the, the, the main difference, I guess, is um, it almost seems silly, but I used to have, uh, I used to be one that I had been a Christian for a lot of years, but I was a Christian that always had a plan B. It was sort of like, um, okay, Lord, you know, um, I've got this need in my life. You know, please take care of it. But if you don't, um, you know, I've got friends, I've got family, I've got connections. I'll take care of myself. You know, gee, Lord, it'd be nice if you know I, I need a new, I need a, a job. But uh, frankly, I've got some, you know, I have some education. I've got some skills, and I'll get a job. Um, but since since then, I've really learned how to trust because I found myself in places where I had no business being. 
you know, who who would think, you know, somebody like me? I'm not, I'm not special. I'm I'm an average person. You plop me into Iraq. What in the world can I do there? What can I do in northern Uganda? And I, I but I would get places, and I would know that I'm weighing over my head. And I'd pray. I said, Lord, you have to do something here. I can't do it. And lo and behold, you know, the first couple times he does it, you're amazed. And, and I was, and I'm, it's kind of it's kind of silly to admit that, but but it's the truth. I'd ask the Lord for something specifically and say, I can't do this. You know, you have to guide me. I'm, I'm willing to do it, but you have to help me. And he would. And and now it's the point where I expect him to act. Whereas before I thought I'd have to, I, I'll do it myself. And I'm clever and I'll find the answer. Yeah, but now, just doing it on your own. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I, I work and I, I, I do the best I can. I don't think the Lord wants me to, to you know, to sit around. But... I know that when there's a challenge um, that I can ask him and he, you know, he will act. He'll do something. And it may be beyond what I can see, but I know if if I'm doing what he wants me to do and I'm within his will, that, that he'll take care of things. And um, I'm not amazed anymore. And I've come to the place where I expect it. I, I'm not surprised so much when something happens because the Lord's good, you know, he's good with his word. He, he doesn't lie to us. He makes us some very specific promises. And uh, I guess it was it had to get me to the point where I had to stand up on him rather than having that being, okay, Lord, well, I'll take care of this, but you know, I know you love me, but I can really take care of myself. He had to put me in a place where I couldn't take care of it to show me that, that it's okay, Mike. I've got it. I, I can handle this. So your faith is different and your prayer life is different. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that do you think that do you think it would have been possible? I mean, obviously everything's possible with God, but I mean, do you think it would have been nearly as possible had you not even answered that first thing when you saw the the, the need in Kosovo and and responded to that thing, and then this whole snowball of all these international uh, experiences that you had? I you know I I I'm not sure. Um, I'm kind of pig-headed, <laughs> and uh, you know I, you know, but I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I, well, I think the Lord would have found another way, and He's been patient with me all my life. But I do know that you know that uh, every time He's asked me to do something, and I've said yes, I'll do it, Lord. Especially those times when I said, Yeah, I'll do it, Lord, but I have no clue how I'm going to do it. That He blessed me far out of proportion than what I put into it. And really, I tell people that, you know, they say, well, you know, sometimes people will say, wow, that's incredible, and you must be an incredible person for, to go to all these different places. And I say, that's that's crazy, because I go to these places because I'm selfish, because the Lord does for me far more than he does for these folks. You know, I come and I, I, I try to do what he wants me to do, and I put things in place, but the satisfaction he gives me, and the peace, and the, you know, and the uh, the reassurance of, you know, and, and just the opportunity to work with him, it's it's incredible. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I, I, I value and I cherish. And even in the, in a war zone, mm-hmm. um, the Lord is there and, you know, he's actively working to, to bring peace and to bring uh, healing. Um, a lot of times people ask me, um, you know, um, I've, I've been to 9-11 uh, to New York right after that a couple times and, and things, but they'll say, you know, uh, in the midst of some of these things, why did the Lord do this? 
You know, mm-hmm. why did the Lord yeah. let this happen? And I always tell them that you're looking for the Lord in the wrong place. The Lord doesn't doesn't cause people to do horrible things to each other in a war situation. I don't believe the Lord decides one day I'm going to bring uh, an earthquake to a place. I, you know, He's He's made this world that we live in. People in our our wisdom will build nice cities on fault lines, and then we wonder, gee, you know, how come there's an earthquake? But they ask, how can you know? Why did God do this? And my response is, God, you're looking for him in the wrong place. You're looking at this terrible thing that happened, and you're trying to find God in it. Where you need to look is in the aftermath, because that's where God is. God's in the the hearts of the people who are half a world away, who mm-hmm. want to donate something to make it a little bit better. He's in the hearts of those neighbors and friends who. Um, will will risk their own lives to try to help their neighbors. He's in the you know he's in the hearts of of everybody who comes to help. He's in the healing process. Mm-hmm. Our, our God doesn't didn't do this to people, but He is there to bring uh, restoration and healing. And I'm just you know I've just been uh, privileged to be able to be part of that uh, that process and to see time and time again how God is able to help people pick up the pieces of their life. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope uh, I hope you'll have another conversation with me sometime. It's getting late tonight, but uh, maybe another time we'll, we'll finish this up. Anybody you want to say hello to out there who might be listening, or maybe you'll send them a link and you want to let them know that you remember them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's there's way there's way too many. Uh, uh, I've got I've got friends in uh, Rwanda. We did some stuff there, and I mean every place I've every place I've gone, I've worked with some great people, and. Uh, to begin to start to list them would be, would be, uh, I guess, well, I'd be dangerous because I'd, I'd bound to leave some, some sure, people out. Sure, sure. But I gotta tell you, um, I've got friends all over the world now, and I love them all, and uh, and it's been a privilege, and I learn something from everybody. Yeah. And uh, uh, oh, cool. All right, awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Mike, and I appreciate you just, um, you know, bearing your heart a little bit in some of those, some of those stories, uh, places and people that are close to your heart and situations that, um, you know, you've seen God work. Uh, so I appreciate your time today, but, uh, I, um, as we close out this episode, I just want to encourage all listeners, uh, share this link around mystoryradio.com. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or you got a story you want to tell, uh, email me at letters at mystoryradio.com. Uh, thank you. God bless you. And uh, we'll see you soon.